You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name is Troy Singer, and I partner on this podcast with my good friend, Bart Kaler. Today, we have a very in-depth conversation about the U.S. News and World Report College rankings with Dr. Adam Stoltz. Dr. Stoltz has done his dissertation on the U.S. News and World Report College rankings. So we invited him on the show to talk about the origins, the significance, and specifically around the changes that have been made here recently and how it's affecting the rankings. And I think you, as well as me, Bart, has been reading a lot of information about this. So I think this is a very timely episode and conversation to have. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk in the last 18 months to two years just about how they do the rankings. What what is it? Is it fair? Does it misrepresent things? And so they redid the methodology this year, I think, to improve it. But I think what's happened is the new methodology has shifted things around. So some people are really happy because they're scoring better than they ever have. Other people are very angry because they dropped. And so it's it's one of those topics that's kind of hot right now. And some of the things that Dr. Stoltz shares with us is the idea that you know, it still plays a big, you know, big influencer into some decisions. And so it's something that we all need to understand, especially not only that particular ranking system, but others that are coming on that are becoming very popular as well. So it's a great conversation. I agree, Bart. And here is that conversation with Dr. Adam Stoltz. Adam, we gave you a heads up when we had our initial conversation with you that we love starting our conversations with our guests by asking them to share something that they may have learned recently that our audience might find interesting, fun, or informative. So I'm eager to hear what your answer to that request is. Yeah. Uh, On this day in history, I learned that the jazz singer premiered in New York City. It introduced the sound era of uh, motion pictures and movies. And so I thought that was really, really interesting because uh, I'm a big movie fan. I'm a big history fan as well. And so, and then the connection of it too, I had recently learned how the trailer, like for movie trailers had come about. That first movie trailer happened a little bit earlier in, in 1913. And so I didn't realize that a movie trailer actually came after the movie back in 1913, but we now see them beforehand. And so I thought that was really interesting. I didn't know that, but I also feel like a lot of what we do in higher education and in the marketing side is all about telling stories. I always love trailers because it's that aspect of here's 30 seconds or a minute or 90 seconds of tell me all about this big, gigantic thing that we have. So maybe it's about the university or maybe it's about a movie that's coming up and we have to make an impact. We have to tell that story. And so I thought that tied in really, really well with some of the topic today. And then uh, again, a little bit about me and the interest that I have in movies and history and the, the marketing side that I'm, I really, really enjoy. 
Love it. And thank you, Adam. And that is a good transition into our conversation today. Again, we are with Adam Stoltz, who is the Director of Enrollment Marketing at University of Idaho. Very important, but I think today the reason why we have asked him to come on to the podcast is to share some of the research, some of the knowledge that he has around the U.S. World Report College rankings. So before we step into the conversation, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, Adam, a little bit about the work that you do at the University of Idaho, and then start leading us into the research that you've done with the U.S. World Report rankings. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Troy. I appreciate that. A little bit about me. been in higher education for a little over 24 years now. I've been mostly working in the enrollment management space, marketing, and then also the CRM space as well. I have an EDD in uh, higher education administration, and my dissertation was on U.S. News. And so it's a topic that has been interesting for me for quite some time, and I use it all the time in, in my daily work. So I think it's a great conversation to have and happy to talk about it today. Uh, a little bit about my role here at the University of Idaho. Uh, I'm the Director of Enrollment Marketing, and uh, I'm, I work with our university's marketing team and report to our Chief Marketing Officer. But I'm in a really great position where I'm also embedded in our uh, strategic enrollment management area. And so I get the best of both worlds. I get the kind of a bigger picture, but I also kind of get to see some of what's going on with some of the students and get this, the sense and feel of what's going on in their lives. And it helps us tell that story and market the university and, and really get our brand out about uh, campus. A little bit about the University of Idaho. We're the public land grant university in the state of Idaho. Fun fact, we are actually older uh, than the state of Idaho which is really, really interesting to me. We're speaking about U.S. News. We're the number one best value public university in the West it's for four years in a row. So we're really, really excited about that. It feels like it's a great story for us to tell as far as value and why you want to be here at the University of Idaho. And so home of the Vandals, uh, we're really excited. We just had this last past year, we had our largest incoming class ever in history. And we're waiting to hear what our new class will be here shortly after census. So that's a little bit about me. One of the fun things that Bart and I get to experience is everyone's fervor, everyone's excitement, and how they distinguish the universities and the institutions that they represent. So it was great hearing more about the University of Idaho. I would like to get into our conversation today. And again, I think we also spoke about Bart and I try to make this podcast of giving practical tips and things that our audience can utilize. But before we start offering those, would like to know if you could maybe offer from your perspective a history of the U.S. World Report rankings and the reason why it was created and maybe the reason why it's sustained for so long. Yeah, happy to talk about that. So back in 1983, the inaugural U.S. News and World Report rankings first came out. The initial rankings were relatively simple and they focused primarily on the national universities. And so in that early focus of data in, in the 1980s, it really, really relied on data such as faculty to student ratios, standardized test scores of admitted students, and financial resources uh, per student to assess the, essentially the quality of the institution. Uh, back then, the methodology was relatively straightforward, in, in, in especially compared to uh, today's rankings as we have all been reading about. In 1985, the U.S. News rankings expanded to include more of the regional universities and colleges, and that really broadened the scope of all the institutions covered by the rankings. During the 1990s, that's when the methodology got really complex. And kind of throughout the 1990s, 
U.S. news rankings became more complex. They incorporated additional factors such as graduation rates, retention rates, that peer assessment survey, which we're going to talk about a little bit today, and alumni giving rates. That methodology evolved to offer a more comprehensive view of the institution quality and uh, really, like I said, really started to get into that fray of growing that influence of the U.S. news and its kind of power over this usage and the, the, the knowledge of it and things of that nature. During that, the 1990s, early 2000s, that's when the U.S. news really kind of came into play and started to wield that substantial influence uh, over higher education in, in the U.S. The universities and college really started paying attention to the rankings and made efforts to improve those rankings uh, during that time. And then in the early 2000s, that's when kind of everything went online and the accessibility for online uh, really kind of took even U.S. news rankings to a, another level. Um, became much more easily accessible. They were uh, available to a wider audience. And then it made it more of a significant presence within people's lives because they could research on the internet about a college and then kind of go back and forth, like look at rankings and then kind of see back and forth. You know, and parents were involved in the process a little bit more too. During that time frame, though, uh, the other thing that was kind of really big and it was happening was specialized rankings. So U.S. News not only did they get into the national regional universities, they started introducing specialized rankings in things such as business and law and engineering and in healthcare. And so that gave uh, additional insights for even more people to take a look at. Methodology changes, and th those happen throughout that time frame as well. They face criticism. They, you know, I've heard things like it's the tail wagging the dog type of syndrome. And so they took a lot of black and heat for it, and they've adjusted their rankings and changed and, but they've always kind of tried to adjust in response to those, uh, critics. And so during that time, also manipulation of data, colleges, universities were not exactly being so truthful on some of their data and then kind of change rankings and try to influence and try to kind of game the system. And so despite all of that, us news is still quite popular. It's always in the news this time of year. And I think the thing that's coming coming out more and more is there, there's more type of uh, rankings coming out in different different areas, so non-U.S. news. And so students are finding that, they're talking about those a little bit, and I know that was something we'll talk about a little bit later too. But that's that's the the big key is just the, it's speeding bigger and bigger and more robust, and colleges and universities have really um, taken the mindset of uh, we have to promote and we have to change and we have to be, it's almost like the athletic arms race that we're in right now. It's it's more about like, we want to be in the big picture and want more people about discussions it kind of lends itself to the Flutie effect or nowadays, maybe uh, neon, neon. Her, her bowler is up 60% in applications. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's, that's part of the play. And honestly, I think that that's probably part of the transfer portal strategy as well. I mean, it's a play type of thing, but let's get back to the US News World Reports. Cause I mean, one thing that struck me as you were kind of going through the history. And I'm just curious about your perspective on this. I mean, when you mentioned 1983, I'm like, okay, what was I doing in 1983? I was really into Back to the Future. It was just coming out. And I mean, I was, you know, I'm a sophomore in high school in 1983. And so I'm thinking about, you know, US News World Report really affected, you know, Xers like myself that were going into, into college. And, you know, our parents were either boomers or they were, you know, silent generation. But then you think about the fact that how many generations has it kind of, I mean, it's been 40 years, 41 years now. 
all the different kinds of generations. I mean, you've got the millennials, you've got the uh, Gen Z, you've got Alpha coming up now. So help me understand how how is this going to stay relevant and will it? Because, I mean, so much of the decision-making today with like Generation Z, I mean, they still got the extra, you know, parents. My, my kids are all Zs and and I'm an extra, so I'm still thinking the same way that I did as as a college student. But I know this this alpha crowd that's coming. I mean, they've got the millennial parents. Help me understand a little bit about that. What how's that affecting kind of generational? Yeah, I think the there's really interesting back and forth of you know how much are the parents getting involved? Uh, are they? Are they not? You know, some of the the stats that we were looking at as far as there's an article out about talking about some of the are students really looking at that? And there is a recent higher ed, insidehighered.com uh, article about are students really paying attention to rankings? And it's 22% of students sought rankings on US News, 22%. And from that, only 25% of that survey said they paid attention to only one specific one. So 25% were focused on US News alone. So 22% have focused on college rankings, and then of the 22%, only 25% were looking at US As I'm sure you have known that the whole idea of artificial intelligence, and especially things like ChatGPT, are really starting to transform higher ed marketing. I really don't want anyone on this podcast to be left behind, so I really want to invite you to join the top minds in higher education at the inaugural Higher Ed Marketer Virtual AI Summit. It's going to be on October 24th, and in just one day, you're going to be able to discover practical strategies to leverage AI as your marketing collaborator and walk away with a lot of new skills as you do that. During the summit, you're going to learn how to create personalized outreach at scale, streamline content creation, boost your productivity, and so much more. Join Troy and I as we learn directly from innovative leaders, and many of those who have been our past guests, including Jamie Hunt, CMO at Old Dominion, Brian Piper from the University of Rochester, and Kyle Campbell, the education marketer. You're also going to be meeting several of our new friends, such as Rafi Dushnin of ERI Design, Dr. Gil Appel of the George Washington University School of Business, Dr. Jules White of Vanderbilt, and Artis Kadu from Element 451 and Austin Marshall on how to use AI for your graphic needs. Seats are limited for this can't-miss event. Visit thehigheredmarketer.com, that's thehigheredmarketer.com, and use code PODCAST for 20% off your ticket. There's also rates available for groups of tickets, so you can find out more at the site. I want you to unlock the power of AI to enhance enrollment, giving, and beyond at your institution. Join us on October 24th. So that kind of tells me that you know, rankings is still a, a big enough influencer. I mean, you know, when you talk about influencers, most surveys will tell you that the website's the number one influence, you know, place for especially Gen Z. And then, you know, certainly mom and dad and, and other influencers. But, you know, these rankings play a role in that. And so I think that's that's a big part of that. So I'm going to kind of move us into the next, you know, area of, of this methodology of, you know, when I look at that and I think about, okay, you know, got 41 years of this, you know, they do play a huge role in this. I mean, one in five kids are looking at it. One in four are focused on a number of other ones as well. But help me understand a little bit about, you know, kind of does that, you know, how does it really work? Because, I mean, that's where a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, confusion and, and maybe the, the consternation right now that a lot of schools have is that it's, it's been fluid and changing a lot. And, you know, there's obviously Malcolm Gladwell and others have their complaints about it. And they've been quite vocal about it. 
But I'm just curious to kind of hear your role because, I mean, you know, there's a lot of schools that are proud of the rankings and that's important to them. And and it certainly is and it should be. But then there's a lot of schools that are kind of like it's a rig system or whatever they want to call it. I'm just curious to kind of let's have a conversation about that methodology. Yeah, I, there's a lot to impact within the, the methodology conversation. Like I mentioned, I did my dissertation on U.S. News and I was interviewing VPs and like AVPs at, at universities and talking about like, what do you think about the rankings? And a lot of them, I don't want anything to do with it. I just wish they'd kind of go away. I don't want to talk about it there because they're, it's like you just mentioned, it's kind of ambiguous. Some people don't really feel like they should be following the rankings, things of that nature. However, you go on their website and it'd be like U.S. News ranked us number one in this and number one in that. Like, like, like I mentioned, it's kind of that tail wagging the dog. It's something that it's there. It's out in and it has been it's been since the 80s and so it's it's a hard thing to not talk about because so many people talk about it and so i think there's that struggle of it i think things that keep in mind for me whenever i'm kind of meeting with students or talking with families and things like that or really just in in general that us news no ranking system is perfect there's so many other factors to be considering when choosing college it's always good to visit. Like I'm, I just came from a campus visit day this morning. And so it's always good to see, visit those colleges that students are interested in. They have to go and talk to students and faculty and the staff to get a sense of kind of like, what's the school culture like and whether it's that kind of right fit. And so those rankings, they might help you in the beginning to kind of look and see, maybe I want to look at this. I want to look at this. But really at the end of the day, it's all about fit and trying to find that college and university that might be best for you. And so, so yeah. yeah. Let me tease this out a little bit because I mean, I, I think about, you know, I had a neighbor who was really into consumer reports for a while. And if it wasn't like in number one, number two, he didn't buy it. I mean, it was just like very, very much that type of thinking. How much of that gets translated over to something like US News and World Report? Because I mean, it's not consumer reports. We're not selling widgets. And it's it, like you just said, I mean, it's, it's a direction but there's so much more in in not only what we offer is higher education, but what we're actually, I mean, a lot of people don't like the word, but what we're selling. I mean, we're selling a transform, a lot of times it's selling a transformative four years of life experience. And, and so help me understand how that weighs into all this as well. Yeah, I think the hard part about all that is if you're not in, so there are institutions that are refusing not to do US News now. And so then... You're not part of that conversation if you've opted out, but then if you opted out, it it gets just kind of it gets a little wonky on 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 some aspects of that. And so, but if you're not part of the U.S. news conversation, then to your point, uh, people are like, "Well, is there a reason why?" And then you start questioning things. And if if you're not well ranked in U.S. news, then like your neighbor, if you're not number one or number two, then well, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do this or that. And so. You know, it comes a lot, a lot back into the, you know, the brand of the institution and, and making sure people know, like for us, the University of Idaho, we want people to know that it, it's a best value. We want people to know that's a affordable place to be. But end of the day, we want you to come and see the place. We want you to come check out campus. And if it's not a right fit, it's not a right fit. But we want people to know that it's affordable. And so talking with a colleague just yesterday in regards to affordability and how we talk about being that, you know, number one best value public in, in the West. And what's resonating now, and especially in, in higher education, is that affordability factor. And so we were talking about that aspect. 
but we had um, we both had talked to families that particular that particular day about value, and so they had come and sought us out because they had heard, oh, Idaho is the number one best value in the West, and so they've heard that they're repeating that, and because they hear it so often and that we're focusing on that, it's that kind of third party validation of saying we believe that we're a good value. Someone else is now saying it. So with that, it helps us promote some of the values that we have as far as like best value, you know, overall rankings as the institution and, and things of that nature. So I think it's important to be in the part of the conversation. And I think, again, just that third party validation is just really, really huge. And so it, it, it kind of shows to the students or, you know, we don't want to call it consumers, but the students, families who are consumers of, the, of higher education, that it is a value. And we can show that and we can have someone validate for that for us. And so I think that's the big, big portion that having that third party validation is, is really, really huge. And I, and I think you're right at that. And I think one of the things, too, that's probably a good takeaway is that it's not black and white. I mean, I think that there's too many people that want to make it black and white, like a lot of things in our culture right now is everybody wants to pick a side. And there's a lot of gray and a lot of gray in the middle, because, I mean, like you said, if I just say as an institution, we're not going to participate for whatever reason, well, you just created friction. And the latest thing I've been on lately is, you know, how can I remove as much friction from the enrollment cycle for my prospective students and families? And I don't want them asking questions. And, you know, and so I was on a recent campus tour and there was some, some things on the campus tour that just gave me pause and made me ask questions about why that was there or why that wasn't there. And I wasn't paying attention to the tour anymore because I was getting stuck on something that was there that shouldn't have been there. And so it's it's that friction thing that is like, you know, you want to avoid that. And so sometimes I think in every institution, as you're saying, you kind of have to look at it on a one out basis. And sometimes you have to kind of live in that gray area and say, well, it's not perfect, but the risk of friction or the risk of not participating or the validation that it does bring without that. There's just a lot of challenges in that, and I'm sure that's part of part of what you've saw and what you saw in your research yeah. as well. You know, and then going a little bit further into the methodology section and in how it works for rankings, a lot of people are are out uh, for this year's methodology changes are saying it's one of the biggest, if not biggest, change that they've seen. And so there's a lot of new ranking factors uh, that have been added. So maybe we can go into that a little bit as well. So yeah, so like I said, a lot of people are saying the methodology have essentially changed and have been one of the bigger changes in of all history of U.S. news and world reports. One of the newer factors that examines like the proportion of schools employed graduates were earning more than a typical high school graduate. So that's one of the newer, bigger ones. The other thing that's kind of really, and I think people, I think we briefly talked about like alumni and have alumni being proud in, in rankings and whatnot. And a lot of it was based on alumni giving and the percentage of alumni giving. Well, the rankings for that were removed. So the ranking formula no longer incorporates uh, five factors. So alumni giving rate, class size, the high school class standing of new entrants, the proportion of graduates with debt, and the proportion of faculty with terminal degrees. That used to be 18% of the total weight of US News. And so when people were trying to improve their rankings, they'd go out and, hey, alumni, can you help us with our rankings? Please give. Well, they don't really have that revenue anymore. 
And so in addition to that, the weights were changed to other existing ranking factors. And so increased the weights by varying degrees to Pell Grant student graduation rate uh, factors. And so I think that's the big one. And the, the other aspect of that is this U.S. News is really focusing on that social mobility, which I think is a, a, a very positive thing. However, that's kind of gets a little controversial, too, because essentially back in the day when rankings first kind of came out, 80s and 90s and whatnot, the publics would complain about we're not highly ranked because private schools can do whatever they want and they can control all the metrics that they, they want to do. And we can't because you work, you know, for a, a land grant or for more of a public access uh, institution, we, we can't control who we're admitting and not admitting. We're not going to have low acceptance rates for a reason, because that's not our mission to do so. But with the new social mobility, it's kind of flipped everything on its, on its head, where now the private institutions are saying, well, now you're hurting us uh, in our rankings because you've, you've changed the methodology. And so some of the things that have changed for the social, mil social mobility section of uh, U.S. News are Pell Graduation rates are now worth 3% in the national university category. Pell graduation performance is also 3%. Something that's new is first generation graduation rates, and that's worth 2.5% of the total 100% weight. First generation graduation performance is 2.5. Borrowed debt had gone up to 5% rather than just three. And then uh, the new newest one is the college grads earning more than a high school graduate is 5%. And so 5% of the total rank. So Adam, as a result of those changes, I also know that there have been institutions that have increased a lot and decreased a lot. And I'm sure that they have opinions or there are certain institutions that are happier than others when it comes to their positioning. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of institutions are looking at how this affects them. They had tried to plan for it. There are institutions that knew the methodology was changing, but they didn't know what to what. And so now that they've come out, you know, you can try to plan and, and, and try to do strategically thinking around those different methodologies. But what if they change again next year? And I think that's kind of where uh, a lot of colleges and universities get frustrated by that aspect of it. I think one of the big things this particular year, just kind of a note, is 90% of institutions in the national universities and national liberal arts sections submitted their data. So that's that's a that's different. I think that's something of note. However, about a third of the law schools did not. And so the law schools have their own mindset and that's a, probably a whole different conversation. But to have 90% of your institutions report data uh, versus only a third, the law schools I feel like are in a different mindset. And so I think that's just a, an interesting concept for me. There are several mid and low ranking institutions that made significant jumps. Two of note, the University of Texas at San Antonio, they were unranked in the bottom quartile. They moved up to 280. And the University of Nevada in Reno went from 263 to 195. And so the new graduation earnings and debt measures, that those tended to help those public colleges that graduate students with those in-demand in degrees. So kind of give you a sense of why that changed and how it changed, but there are a few that went up and those were a couple of them. Thank you, Adam. Also would like to talk about the peer review aspect to it. And I know before I started working directly with colleges and universities, I think in my mind, I thought this U.S. World Report ranking system had a big panel that 
would bestow these ratings on the people. And there's a lot of people that are surprised to learn that it's a peer review system and would like to know if you can kind of shed light on the significance of that. Yeah. I think peer assessment is one of the most interesting parts of, of U.S. News. Currently, it's worth 20% of the overall rank. And so you, you, you take into that, Troy, where like you thought like as a panel of people kind of doing rankings, and really it's just a survey. And it's how often people are returning the survey data. I know at U.S. News at one point was struggling with getting people to uh, answer their survey. So they had added uh, high school counselors to the mix and tried to get more people to kind of provide their feedback on it. But I think the reason U.S. News feels that peer review is so strong is that it 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 offers a qualitative dimension to the assessment of the universities and colleges along the side, alongside the quantitative data used in the methodology. And so it's a mix. And with that, you know, I think it's an opportunity to let um, peers rank you. And I think that's, but that becomes a struggle because then, you know, if, if I don't know anything and I'm on the East Coast and I'm talking about schools on the West Coast or North and South, I've never been to those campuses. What do I know about them? And so, what a lot of colleges and universities are now doing, they're promoting directly to those stakeholders. And that's something that a lot of colleges and universities are doing. I've received things in my mail directing me about, have you checked out this campus before? Did you know we are one of the best universities in this and that? And so I know obviously they're trying to influence my perception of them on 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 the rankings. And so it's just an interesting uh, I don't know if it's a, is it a game? I don't know. Is it a game we play? I feel like it could be in some ways, but again, back to U.S. News, U.S. News and World Reports, they feel like the significance of peer reviews, part of that's because they feel it's a subjective, they feel it's a subjective evaluation. They feel that it's assessment of reputation and because the peer reviewer can gauge the reputation of the institutions, both nationally and regionally, and they feel it's a balance to that quantitative data. It, provides that human element that, you know, black and white data just doesn't really tell us. And then really in their mind, U.S. News feels that peer reviews is a way for them to cross check data. And so it helps them verify or challenge the accuracy of the data provided. So, and, and I think they feel that it promotes accountability and then the data integrity as well. And so I feel it's a balance of how, how U.S. News feels and how higher education feels, and then kind of how does that fit in between? So. Adam, earlier in the conversation, you referenced that there are other entities that are producing rankings similar to the U.S. World Report rankings. But if we can talk about that a little bit and maybe mention who they are and how they differ. Yeah, definitely. So I mentioned earlier, only about 25% of students survey said they paid attention to one particular ranking source. And U.S. News is still the number one ranking source out there. But shortly, following shortly after that is there's niche, bestcolleges.com, Forbes, Princeton Review, Wall Street Journal, money.com, NCAA rankings. We kind of talked about Boulder and, and, and Dion, uh, but, and then Washington Monthly and College Raptor. Those are the, the top ones that um, are being used by students according to an insidehighered.com article. I think the big thing there though is that US News influence has shrunk since 2016 because they did the survey back then as well. And now survey results are showing a 10% narrower gap between U.S. News and the next ranking, So, which is niche. And niche is now used by 17% of the student survey. 
compared to 22% of US news. And so that gap is, is starting to change. And I think part of that is a lot of that is, you know, we talked about peer review. Niche is a lot of peer review rankings too. And so with that, students are really, they want to find out, well, I want to know what someone who goes there, how do they feel about it and, and, and get kind of get their insight. And so that kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier about taking the time to, to go and visit those campuses and kind of see the why you should be there and who's there and, and how do you fit there and how does things feel? And so I think that's really, really important. And I think that reflects a little bit of the Gen Z personality is, you know, they really want to do things together. So peer, their true peer opinions really matter a lot to them. And so that places like Niche and tools like Zemi and Unibuddy and other ones like that are so important and popular because students want to hear what other students are thinking and what they're experiencing, not just what mom and dad want to see in a magazine. So I think that's a really, really good point. Adam, we asked you and you delivered. You gave a lot of information about how this works. And thank you so much for doing so. But we also have one more question we always ask of our guests. And that is if there's a piece of advice that you could give that could be implemented soon after hearing it, what piece of advice would that be? Yeah, I think that one last thought or additional idea that I would say that to, to go and implement right away if you're not having those internal discussions about US news and rankings and how people perceive you, go start having those now. Because I think we always have this like, well, I think uh, that's what I think about the university. It, that's the way it is. And that's always the way it's always been. But if you're not going out and having those internal conversations and then, and then going out externally and finding out what are people really saying about you? What are people here on campus saying about? What do we think? And I think just going out and starting to have those conversations because end of the day, it's all about the story that's being told to you. So I talked about the trailer was always at the end. Well, now the important thing is here. It's at the end. The big important thing that you all need to do is have those conversations to better tell your story. Once you tell a better story, you'll have more impact and you'll get more people to the university, you get more people involved, and you'll have a better story. And that's, that's where I think if you're going to go out and do something, go do that now. Thank you so much. Adam Stoltz from the University of Idaho. Adam, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, best way, I would say go to LinkedIn and you can look for me. It's Adam uh, Stoltz, S-T-O-L-T-Z. Well, again, thank you for being a guest and all of the very timely and well thought out information. Um, I, I consider you an expert when it comes to U.S. World Report rankings, and I appreciate you accepting our invite to come on to the program. Appreciate that, Troy. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Uh, Bart, before we leave, could do you have any final thoughts that you would like to add? Yeah, I do. This is probably the, the second or third episode we've had on this subject, so I would encourage you to go back and you know listen to some of the back episodes. I know about two years ago, Walter Kimbrough was on our episode, and a week later, he was on the uh, revisionist, revisionist history with Malcolm Gladwell. And so that kind of gives you a, one perspective of everything. I think that a lot of what Adam said has kind of been a very balanced way. And then certainly a lot of the news that's coming out recently is going on too. And and there's been a couple other ones. I think that we talked to with uh, Jed McCosco of Wake Forest, and, and he had 
had some thoughts on U.S. News World Report, and I did a quick search on our website with all the uh, the, the different episodes, and, and we've got more than that. It's come up a lot. And so I think it's something definitely to kind of keep in mind and think about and have as a tool in your toolbox. And I really liked what Adam said there at the end about really thinking about how can you turn this into a story? How can you leverage what, you know, the, the idea that people are kind of becoming curiosity, having curiosity about you because of these U.S. News & World Report rankings? What can you do to that to start to really tell, you, tell your true story now that you have their attention? And so it really comes back to that relational storytelling and being able to really listen and be empathetic, because at the end of the day, they're not buying a widget. They're buying a, an education. They're buying a life change. And, and, and that's what we need to really kind of be ready to market to them. So thanks again, Adam. This has been a great conversation. Appreciate the opportunity. We would also like to thank Rob Onlin of Westport Studios, our producer who helps us get out a wonderfully produced show every single week. We'd also like to thank Taylor Solutions, an education, marketing, and branding agency, and Ring Digital, the ad targeting people, whereby we're putting ads directly to the devices of your prospective students on your valued mailing lists. On behalf of myself, Troy Singer, our guest, Adam Stoltz, and Bart Kaler, thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time. <laughs>